Hey everyone, I'm Justin Moranti. And I'm Jared Moranti, and this is season two of The Wild Loop. Visit our website at thewildloop.net where you can find our blogs and bios, as well as connections to our Facebook, Twitter, and email contact. Email us and let us know your thoughts, and we may read your comments or answer your questions on the show. The Wild Loop starts now. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the audience, to my brother here, Justin. Uh, Yo. Season two of The Wild Loop, first episode. Uh, it's been, what, like three or four weeks, I think, we had off, so it's good to be back. Uh, yeah, it went, went by kind of fast. It did. We had, we had a lot of plans for a lot of behind-the-scenes work. I don't know if we got to all of it, but... Well, this, the uh, the, se- the season is young, so we got plenty of time. Right. At least we got this. This episode is covered, so we're, right, right, we're good there. So we hope that uh, you're glad we're back, and we could probably just get right into it. We do have a plan for today's show. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, CPUs uh, and basically how they work. So I think it's something that obviously everybody. It's something that everybody knows about, right? Like everybody knows what a car engine is or that they exist. They might not know how they work. It's kind of like the engine of a computer, a CPU. Uh, and, you know, you see it even like in TV shows and movies where they talk about computers working or like being binary. Everybody says, oh, computers work on zeros and ones. Uh, we might talk about like how this computer is. 8-bit, or like back in the day, like we had, you know, the Nintendo was 8-bit, and then the Super Nintendo came out, and they were like, oh, this is a new 16-bit game console, and now, you know, pretty much everything uses 64-bit CPUs, and we've been there for almost 20 years. We're not making a jump to like a 128-bit CPU, and there's a reason for that, like, so we'll get into that, Um, but that is the basic gist of what we're going to be talking about today. Hopefully explaining it in a way that's easy to understand. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Uh, And so just based on everything you said, I have a quick question. Yep. What is the reason that the bit number has to be doubled in order for a new version to come out? Um, I think that's probably the one question I had not prepared for. (laughs) So good job on picking up that. Uh, Oh man! You know what? That's a really good question, and I'm I'm not actually sure what the answer is for that. Other than um, I was afraid it might have been a dumb question. And, <laughs> no, it's and, probably a good question. It's okay. probably related to just the fact that that this stuff is based on binary, right? So everything is a power of two. So eight is two to the third. I think sixteen would be two to the fourth. Okay, is that right? And then yeah, so that is that is right. So I'm assuming that that's why, and there's probably underlying reasons for that. It probably all comes back to the fact that it is binary and everything is a power of two. That would be my guess. But I don't know what the specific for that would be in terms of architecture. Like maybe there is like a 48-bit architecture somewhere. But that gets kind of weird. Actually, you know what? I would guess... I would guess almost surely that it's related to the power of two because then because we'll talk about this as well. You have uh, the bitness of a CPU is basically related to 
the instructions that it can process, um, like the length of the instructions. Then you start talking about, uh, there's also things called data paths. Uh, and so when you're doing math within all these CPUs, it's all based on these binary numbers. Mm -hmm. So 48 is not, you know, if I said a 48 bit CPU, that's not a power of, not a power of two. So you wouldn't really have like a, a good way to, to be doing control, I believe with those like off, off numbers. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm almost positive. That's what it is. Okay. Uh, So that would be, that would be why I think. We'll go with that for now. There's and, somebody uh, out there who really knows their stuff that's like rolling their eyes at me right now. Like, <laughs> oh, I didn't notice. Uh, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Okay. Um, well, if, if someone so, is rolling their eyes, they, they're welcome to uh, write in. That's and right. Write in and us tell, us, tell us the business. Tell us what it's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so otherwise, other- we, other, otherwise, we'll come back and correct it if, uh, sure. if, if we find out differently. No. Um, I was just going to ask if you had any other questions that were going to totally throw me off. or No, I don't think so. I didn't think that one was going to throw you off, to be honest. Well, but, uh, well you, have, you have good insight, I guess. All right. We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> Um, no, so this will be kind of a Jared episode, I think, uh, for the most part, but, um, I have a, you know, kind of a real basic understanding of CPUs and how they work. And, uh, so I'm kind of looking forward to learning some things from you today. Sure. Okay. So, yeah. So before I start talking, actually, is there, is there any other questions or should we just, we'll just go with, uh, whatever happens uh, I might have some questions as we go, but I don't have All any right. up front here. All right. So we'll talk about the basics here uh, to get started with. Um, so I mentioned at the beginning, going back, you know, 30 years or whatnot. Um, and this goes beyond consoles, obviously. This is the, some of the very first CPUs, uh, microprocessors, as they were called, I believe. Um you know, back in early Intel days when they were, I mean, there's, there's all different kinds of CPUs. There's like with different architectures. So all of these CPUs run what's called an ISA or an instruction set architecture. It's something that we've talked about before on the show, how uh, Apple's moving to ARM. So they've Mm -hmm. gone, like Apple's gone from the Intel x86 instruction set architecture Mm -hmm. to the ARM 64 instruction set architecture. So all these CPUs run kind of their own internal language. You can liken it to English and Spanish and Italian, you know, the languages that humans understand. And so, (coughs) excuse me, uh, computers all have their own languages that they understand as well uh, at a hardware level. So in this case, we're talking about you know, I mean, this is a general purpose for what we're going to be discussing, but mm-hmm. in this case, each CPU runs its own, um, like, instruction set. Yeah. So, okay, I got a question like already. Had, yeah. Go ahead. So, is that that's not the binary language you're referring to? These are these are different languages. The binary is like the basic, right? Right. So actually, actually, this this does this is the like. There is a binary representation. So there are different binaries. These... So, yeah. So there's a binary representation of all of these instructions. So when okay. I say there's an instruction set architecture, 
that set, that, that instruction set includes a number of what they call instructions, and there is a binary representation for those instructions. So, like, let's say we'll take it back to comparing it to, like, the English language. You can spell out words with letters, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say all of your letters are is either a zero or a one. So let's say you have a move instruction. Um, and a move instruction would be maybe something that would move data from, let's say, uh, an address in, in RAM um, into what's called a register. And we'll come back to registers later. But a register is basically a piece of local storage on a CPU that is required to do these operations. So we have like a move uh, instruction that needs to be executed. So let's say it's an 8-bit CPU to keep things really simple. In fact, we might use 8-bit to demonstrate, to talk about all this stuff because you can take the ideas for 8-bit and kind of extrapolate them to 64-bit and beyond, Or, but we don't really mm-hmm. go beyond right now. But you don't want to start li- listing off 32 zeros and ones when I'm giving an example. So going back to a move instruction. So the, the binary representation of that instruction might be like 0001. Mm-hmm. So every time... So that would be four bits out of an eight-bit instruction. Okay. Now, you could have... So then the CPU would know by reading the first four bits of that instruction that we have, that we're doing a move operation. And in that mm-hmm. case, we would know that the next two bits to read would be like a maybe like a register location. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be like zero, zero, which would probably be the first... Mm-hmm. register since it's starting at zero and then the next two that's probably off a little bit just because i don't really i have not looked at an 8-bit uh cpu well that's not true uh it's been a long time but um your your memory your ram like address space is not going to be uh basically be able to be stored or whatnot in two bits so this is all hypothetical, but like, mm-hmm. let's say the, the the last part of the move instruction would be like a zero one. So when you have an eight bit instruction in this case, for what I just listed, it'd be zero 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 one zero mm-hmm. zero zero one. So that's okay. eight bits in a row. Mm-hmm. Now the CPU, because it's reading these things in chunks, would understand that that's a move operation of register one and maybe like memory location. Or I'm sorry, register zero and memory location one. Mm-hmm. So. That's, I mean, and that's essentially the idea of what's running through all of these CPUs. So they're just strings of zeros and ones that the hardware knows basically how to operate on based on the order of these bits. Mm-hmm. So that's very basic for an 8-bit uh, CPU. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. What were you going to say? So let me just see if I understand you. So that particular sequence would be for a given CPU. Another CPU, even if it were 8-bit, let's say, mm-hmm. might have a different sequence. So you're, you're using the a different sequence for the move function. So mm-hmm. even though you're using the same, you're using zeros and ones, like we when we say English, we're using the same letters as, mm-hmm. say, someone who's speaking Spanish, but you're mm-hmm. you're arranging the letters differently, and that's where exactly. you're getting the different information. Okay. Yeah, exactly. 
So, okay. exactly. So the Intel uh, instruction set uh, x86. It's again all mm-hmm. built on zeros and ones. Mm-hmm. It's just that they mean different things mm-hmm. to the CPUs because the CPUs get designed around um, those instruction set architectures. So <laughs> one project I had to do, because I just got an idea, but I don't know if it would be a good idea to do. One project I had to do in college was to actually design an 8-bit instruction set. And then we had, it was a team team project, uh, an 8-bit instruction set, and then we had to design the CPUs to actually implement that stuff. And we, we had to write three programs in our instruction set architecture that we designed and then design the CPU in the software that they have that you can actually use to design this stuff and then run the programs and demonstrate that it was all correct. Mm. Uh, it was one of the toughest classes that I had to do just because of the amount of work. Yeah. And it, it was also, for whatever reason, most classes were four, were four units. It was a two-unit class. <laughs> so it was like... The low, one of the lowest unit classes I took, and but like maybe one of the hardest and most time consuming. Wow. Uh, I don't know why they did that, but I still have that project. And I was going to say, it, might, it would be cool if I scanned it all and put it on the website because it would demonstrate everything that we're talking about right now. But I don't know if that could be considered like, that's like solutions to, I don't know if that class is still offered or at least offered in the same way. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, am I posting answers to a university course? Like I don't want, I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's but, um, that's crazy though. So more work for less credit, basically. Um, yeah, but but like oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, like it would be a really good practical example of everything we're talking about because it's when when you're looking at the eight bit, like it's understandable mm-hmm. at smaller levels, and then when you start jumping into sixteen bit, thirty two, and sixty four, and then we'll talk about this as well, the size of these CPUs. From what I understand, like people don't actually understand these things in terms of how it's all laid out. And there's actually software that's designing them. Mm. Um, maybe they're designing like the smaller pieces of it, and then the software kind of builds like the larger versions of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because let me see, let me read how many transistors. I'll look it up. Some of these latest CPUs have. But it's just off the charts, kind of. Yeah. Well, this is pretty uh, fascinating to me. Did so, okay. yeah. So the M1, which was the new CPU that we were just talking about uh, on last season, is 16 billion transistors. <laughs> so a trans. So, and that's going to cover everything. That's going to cover your your CPU cores, your GPU cores, your cache, I believe they include cache in that transistor count. And like who's who's laying out 16 billion switches, right? Or transistors. No one's yeah. doing that. And like when I went back and I said like no there's no one on planet earth who understands the totality of the iPhone, like how everything yeah. it works. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the same thing with these CPUs and like the way that they manage scale is through software that can like automatically lay out and create some of the stuff again i that's an extremely broad generalized explanation of how they're designing that stuff yeah it's not like it's not like it's free it's like really hard work and it's not like automatic oh like oh we just generate that's not what i mean but just in terms of like they're not hand laying things out like i had to do a class so 
Um, yeah. So I, we're. I do have a. Talking. Yeah, go ahead. I have a quick question. Yep. Uh, and this might, this might uh, not be a smart question, but we'll let me see. So you had. So you have you have different eight uh, bit CPUs with different let's say move uh, functions okay. or move move uh, instructions. instructions. Yep. So why it, why would there be different uh, different versions? Is it just because you have competing companies who are making competing yeah uh, languages? That's it. Is that simple, or is or is there because it would seem much easier well, if, if there were like universal <laughs> languages and sure so think about well think about a couple things uh think about the x86 is intel's intellectual property mm-hmm. so if you want to make your own cpu mm-hmm. what do you ha- what can you do like if if that's the, if that's the universal right, right. like right so there's there's all kinds of instruction sets. So it's there. like it's like plagiarism, basically. Yeah, that's 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 because they have access to the code. I mean, right? You can see. Oh yeah, you can. Binary. Yeah, you yeah, just you can't can, copy it if you're making your own. Right, you would have to license. Like, so that's what AMD does. They license the x86 architecture from Intel. Okay. Um, and that's why they're able to make CPUs that are basically compatible with you know like if you buy a windows license and you want to build the computer you can buy an amd cpu or an intel cpu and it's all going to work and because they all run the the x86 architecture and that's and i think that was actually getting into the business side of it i'm pretty sure that intel licensing x86 to amd was one way to basically um you know sidestep anti-competitive law or like monop, like saying like they have a monopoly because it's they're literally enabling a competitor by saying, well, you know, we do have a competitor in the market, because otherwise they would have owned everything, um, mm. for a long, long time. So, okay. Um. So that's one reason. The other reason might be so. There's also different kinds of instruction sets. There's one that's called CISC, C-I-S-C, which stands okay. for Complete Instruction Set. Um. What does C stand for? I thought it was uh, complex. Sorry, I've heard it as complete before. Complex instruction set computer. And then there's also one called RISC, which is R-I-S-C, which is reduced instruction set computer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they operate in different ways. I think they can have like um, different length instructions in terms of like the number of bits dedicated to the instruction, like some of them will be, uh, I don't know if they both allow for variable instruction length, but th- they have differences between CISC and RISC, and I don't want to get into all that uh, right now, but RISC is um, more recent, mm-hmm. and I think some people like considered it uh, more advanced, but maybe that's not uh, the case. Maybe we could do that. Might be a good actually topic for later. I'd have to I'd have to remind myself about some of that though. But like CISC versus RISC processors. Okay. So there's but the point being, the reason there's not one universal um, instruction set architecture is that there's there are differences in the design in terms of um, 
like what it enables, like the technology enables, there's, you know, IP concerns. So it's just like programming languages where you don't have one best programming language. So some of them might work better in other cases for certain tasks. And it's kind of the same, like a good example of that would be ARM, which Mm -hmm. again is something we've talked a decent amount about, was originally kind of designed for like low power devices. So there you have a situation where the actual ISA was designed to use less power, um, be, you know, generate less heat in the uh, CPU uh, dyes that are being generated or whatnot created. So you're talking about like specific designs that kind of go towards different goals. So Mm -hmm. there's plenty of reasons why there's different instruction sets. Um, so going back to that, so <laughs> the example I was giving about the move instruction set. So there's, there's going to be a whole bunch of different instructions, right? So let's say we're going to go back to the 8-bit example, and we're going to say that the first four bits are the only bits you get for the number of instructions you can have in the CPU. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, so... Two to the four, that's like 16, I believe. Yeah. So you can only have 16 possible instructions in the CPU if that's how you've designed it. Mm-hmm. So if you've designed it so that the first four bits are always an instruction, um, you can only have 16. So you'd have something like, you'd have like a load instruction, you'd have a store. So that would be like load something into a register or load something into... Yeah, it'd probably just be loaded to a register. Store could be like store something to memory or, you know, write something to disk maybe. I'm not sure exactly how that's broken down on on such a small instruction set. But then you have add, which uh, gets into what's called the arithmetic, uh, arithmetic logic units, ALUs. Um, So we'll talk about that shortly. Um, so you're just going to have the series of instructions, but again, you're, you're limited to 16. So, so uh, is there a difference between instructions and operations? Cause I've, I know there's operations that are performed by a CPU, which are arithmetic, memory, logical control, those kinds of things. Is that, the, is that the same thing as what you're saying? Um, it's a little... I would consider it a little different, I think. So what you were just describing are like parts of a CPU that would help it do its work. But I'm Mm -hmm. specifically talking about just the actual instructions that move through the the instructions that move through the CPU and might Mm -hmm. involve some of those things. But again, that comes down to like the paths that these bits take through the CPUs um, as you're moving through. So let me go back real quick. So actually, let me finish this first thought. So I was talking about 16 instructions. So again, and they would all be the same. So the first example I used was a move instruction for 0001. So maybe uh, instruction 0000 would be like load. So that's always the load instruction. So zero, and now again, this is binary, so there's no 0002. So the next one would be 0010. So maybe that's a store instruction. Okay. And the next one would be zero zero one one. So it's it's very similar to uh, so zero zero one one could be like add. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very similar to uh, we use the decimal uh, system mm-hmm. uh, 
base 10. So mm-hmm. we like we understand intrinsically that when you go 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, when you're adding up, and then the next column becomes 1, 0, right? So you have yeah. 0, 0, 0, 1, 0, 2, 0, 3. And then once you carry over, then it's 1, 0 again. Then it goes 1, 1, 1, 2, 1, 3, 1, 4. So that's mm-hmm. base 10. So that once you hit 10, you carry over to the next column. So it's the same thing with binary. So if you have 0, if you have 0, 0, 1, 1, which mm-hmm. is three uh, in decimal. Um, and I know that's I'm probably going a little fast if if people are not used to this. But if you add one to zero zero one one, that rolls over. It's almost like adding uh, one to ninety nine so that you'd get like one zero zero. So you in that case, if you're adding one to zero zero one one, you get zero one zero zero. Okay. Because if you're adding the one to the one in the first column, okay. that becomes zero with a carried one. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know if that's making sense. I'm, I'm I think going so. through it a I little think so. fast. It's kind of nah. like the same thing as decimal, or I'm sorry, base 10, but base 2. So everything can only be a zero or a one. Right. So the way right. to think about it is, and I don't want to get too into the weeds here, but if you're looking at the columns, mm-hmm. uh, so for our numbers, it's, the first column is like for the numbers that we're all used to is 10 to the zero. 10 mm-hmm. to the zero is one. Mm-hmm. So if you have a three in that column, it's three times 10 to the zero, which is three. So the next column over is representative of 10 to the one. So 10 to the one is obviously 10. So if you have a three in that column, it's three times 10 to the one, which is 30. So we all know like we intrinsically understand that 30 is, if you write 3, 0, it's 30. Mm-hmm. But if you're breaking it down, it's actually 3 times 10 to the 1 plus 0 times 10 to the 0. <laughs> okay. So, so, so the yeah. next, so, so the third column in our, de- in our base 10 system is then 10 to the 2. So if you're looking at each column, it's 10 to the 0, 10 to the 1, 10 to the 2, 10 to the 3, and so on. Mm-hmm. And that's how binary works as well. But it's just it's base two, so it's two mm-hmm. to the zero, two to the one, two to the three. So that's why if you have a number, again, this is getting into just understanding how to add things in binary, and it's a little different than than just being able to see what the instructions are. But if if you have, uh, so we had the four bits that we were saying are useful for the instructions section of the eight bit. Uh, instruction as a whole. So we were saying, we were saying zero 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 one was for move, and then I just gave an example of I believe zero one zero zero was for add. But if you want to look at what those values mean in binary, that third column would be two to the uh, two to the second power, which is four for us. So zero one zero zero is equivalent to the number four in uh base 10 <laughs> does that make sense uh you had me for a while you lost me there okay i guess uh, i think i, I kind of went off on a little tangent because i was trying to explain um how you could like maybe that wasn't exactly important no, I, I, to the to the discussion of how the no, instructions no. work well now now i want to understand this so okay uh Okay, so you went from so zero, I was zero, trying one, to, zero uh, to zero. You went from zero zero one zero to zero zero one one, 
And then the next number would be zero one zero zero. Right. Now the next number after that, if I if I understand you correctly, would be uh zero one zero one. Yep. And then zero one one one. No, it would be the one after that would be zero one one zero. One one zero. Okay. Mm-hmm. Zero one one zero. And then zero one one one. Yep. And then one zero zero zero. Yep. Okay. Okay. So the the, kind of the reason I was trying to explain that was because I said, oh, you have four bits, which means you have 16 choices. And the reason for that is because it's essentially like adding in a way, it's just like Mm -hmm. reading numbers in a different way. So Mm -hmm. when you, it's, you have these different combinations of numbers that you can create with these four bits. So yeah. zero 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 is be zero. The first one. Right. Yeah. But if you have one 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 one, that equals fifteen. So okay. So you're going from zero to fifteen. Between zero and fifteen, which is actually sixteen possibilities. Okay. So that's why <laughs> like that works. It's like arrays numbered zero through fifteen. Yeah, so that's kind of that's what's going on there. So, but this is a good this is a good kind of lead in to, I think the next point we should move on to because we could spend a lot of time yeah. on this. Is what I'm realizing. So every time you add a bit, you are doubling the number of of possibilities in terms of the numbers you can create. Right. So that's four bits. So if you had a fifth bit for that instruction those instruction sets if you have one 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 that's your that's your 16th uh your 16th like instruction which is you know number 15 same thing so let's say you add a fifth bit and you switch over to that well all of a sudden one zero 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 is equal to 16 in binary but now you have that previous 15 bits uh i'm sorry that previous 16 um possible combinations so you have that leading bit now that's an addition the fifth bit so that can be a zero or a one now let's say Mm -hmm. and that's represented in the two to the fifth column right or no Mm -hmm. two to the fourth column which is the fifth column but that that is telling you if if 16 is included or not so that right 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 this is your number of possible instructions to to, uh 32 right so you have like the 16 Combinations with the zero or the 16 yep. combinations with the one, and that gives you 32. exactly yeah. exactly. So that's why, well, that's why exponential numbers grow so quickly, right? So, as you can right. this is, is you're multiplying every time you're squaring something, mm-hmm. uh, multi- yeah, right? You're yeah. increasing the power of two every time you add one bit. So, yeah. so we just laid out the case for, again, this is very simplified, but we just laid out a a very basic 8-bit CPU where you had a a space for for instructions and a space for, like, the data that you're dealing with. So think about going from... So we just talked about going from 4 bits for instructions to 5 bits for instructions, and all of a sudden, you've you've doubled the number of instructions that you can create. Mm -hmm. And you can design these instructions to do very specific things... um, versus very generalized so the more instructions that you have you can you can come up with these more like specific type of instructions that can accelerate different functions um 
instead of, again, if you have very small uh, number of instructions available you can design around, they're going to be very basic things like adding numbers, loading values, storing values, etc. You mm -hmm. run out of instructions real quick because you need to have certain things to make a computer work properly. So, mm -hmm. so going back to the 8-bit example, so then the next jump that we saw was, you know, 16-bit processors. So you're taking that, it's not doubled, it's, you know, I don't know what the, what the uh, increase there was, but off the top of my head, but 2 to the 8 is what, like 64 thousand or something like that so 16-bit is going to be in the in the millions in terms yeah. of i think i this is all off the top of my head in terms of um what two you can two, well, two to the eight versus two to the 16 I, I don't know what those numbers are off the top of my head i think I eight is it. I, I can do it real but, quick hold on sure. six seven but to the eight is 256 right and oh yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so maybe sixteen bit is sixty four thousand. Is that right? Let me see. Thirteen. <laughs> I'm doing this uh, the long way. So sixty would it be sixty five thousand five hundred thirty six? That'd be two to the sixteen. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. All right. So we make that jump to sixteen bit. All of a sudden. You have a whole lot of uh, improvements that you can um, basically take advantage of. So you can have a lot more instructions. And one of the other things that's um, that's a big deal uh, in terms of these CPU instruction set architecture sizes is the ability to address more RAM. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> when you're doing these, um, and for for this RAM example. Mm -hmm. I will use the jump from 32-bit to 64-bit because this was something that was very limiting in the PC space for a while. Um, basically, with 32-bit CPUs, and I think there was some ways that they tried to get around this so you could address a little more RAM, but you can essentially uh, have around 4 gigabytes of RAM with a 32-bit system because the numbers that you can use to address space... So again, so think about those numbers we were using, but... Think about them in terms of the locations you can reach. So, if, again, let's say we're using the four bits of... Um, we'll go back to that four-bit example. Mm -hmm. So you can reach memory address space 0 through 15 or whatever, which is nothing. Right. Um, so in a 32-bit system, they've dedicated enough bits to address up to four gigabytes of RAM. But that takes up, you don't have anywhere else to go because the length of these instructions are not any longer. So when we made the jump to 64-bit, it enabled the possibility to address up to like 17, it's like 17 billion gigabytes of RAM, hmm. which is way beyond anything that we need right now. Right? So if you get like, I mean, if you had a terabyte of RAM, you're like on a, absolute powerhouse you know workhorse of a workstation um so that's a thousand gigabytes of ram so we're talking about 17 billion gigabytes uh which is how many orders of magnitude beyond just a one terabyte of ram it's mm -hmm. what is that like six orders of magnitude beyond that or something so you're talking about an insane number of ram so when we've gone from the improvements from 8-bit to 16-bit 
to 32-bit to 64-bit, there's real improvements there in terms of the basic capabilities of the CPU. So one other aspect of these um, of these CPUs in terms of the length of these instruction sets is the, the kinds of data they can operate on. So I don't know if we've talked about different things like integers and floating points, um, things like that. A little bit. We've touched on uh, floating, floating so, integers, I think. Real quick, I'll go over that stuff again. An integer is basically like a whole number, like 10, 1,000, you know, a million. Mm -hmm. um, a floating point is essentially a decimal number. So mm -hmm. 100.56 or, you know, just anything with a decimal is essentially mm -hmm. a floating point. And you can dedicate different amounts of bits to the number before the decimal point and the fraction after the decimal point. But they're very different operations and they're very different ways of storing and representing these numbers. So when you have an 8-bit CPU, 16-bit CPU, again, you gave me those numbers, 256 for 8-bit, 65,000 for 16-bit. Mm -hmm. So it's you can deal with those numbers natively in uh, those in those CPUs. So you can store an integer, an 8-bit integer, and work on it um, in an 8-bit CPU, but you can't really do that natively. You can't work on a 16-bit number natively on an 8-bit CPU. So very, it limits the kinds of software you can write and the kinds of things you can calculate. So like way back in the day, we'll go back to the Super Nintendo example. Mm-hmm. Um, or we'll, we'll go, <coughs> excuse me again. I've got, we'll go I've got my better calculator now, by the way. So okay. need, <laughs> I just need more exponential, uh, we need to crunch some numbers, higher exponents. I can get there. So, so if we have, um, we'll go back to the, uh, to the Nintendo versus super Nintendo. So when Nintendo, we were playing video games and there was a very limited number of colors that it could show on the screen. And there was like a simplicity to the graphics. And then when the Super Nintendo came out, which was a 16-bit system, um, you could uh, right away see just like the increase in the color palette and all that. But the thing about that was, is the Super Nintendo could only show 256 colors on screen at once, mm -hmm. which is not like what a 16-bit, like if you have 16-bit color, it's again, it's like up to 65,000 colors or whatnot. Um, but I believe the Super Nintendo had like an 8-bit um, an 8-bit data bus for like the graphics. So mm -hmm. if you're limited to 8 bits for like color on the data bus, again, that's 256 colors. But they actually advertised it at the time as this big advantage because it was compared to everything else that was out there. So they were like, oh, you can have all these realistic, uh, not realistic, whatever they called it, more detailed graphics because you have 256 colors on screen. Um, and that's exactly where that comes from is the limitations of how you can store numbers in these bits. You know what's funny? Um, remember Rygar? Yeah. And how you could build up to a certain level. Like, you you would know, like, when you maxed out. Because uh, we'd go to that snow area and we'd beat those robot guys over and over again <laughs> until we maxed out. Yeah. So there's two values that they show. And I can't remember what they were called. It was like it was like POW and RES or something like that. It was like your strength and your yeah, resilience or something. 
Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that when you max them out, they're, they're a couple powers of two. Like, okay. And it's really obvious that it's just like limited by, like if you know programming and all that stuff, that it was limited by how much space they could allocate to those numbers. Because <laughs> uh, it's like 4,096 or something like that. It's a, it's a very obvious... Uh, it's a very obvious thing, which is I think it's kind of funny when you can start spotting things like that in, in mm-hmm. like older video games. Because yeah. I think even in Zelda One, you could only get up to like two hundred and fifty-five coins or something like that. And again, that's zero to two fifty-five. That's an eight-bit mm-hmm. value. It's two fifty-six, ah. right? So because you always count zero as the first one mm-hmm. instead of one. So like those things pop up if like on older software, especially if if you're uh, paying attention. Paying attention. Yeah. Um, uh, I got a quick question. I don't want to. I don't want yeah, you to get yeah. lost, lost no, no, in the no, weeds no. or anything. But no, going good. back to, so you were talking about finding a location on a, uh, like a, a, a CPU finding a location, mm-hmm. and you're, and so what you said that when you like if you go to a 64-bit, all of a sudden mm-hmm. you have access to I don't remember the number you said, but some gargantuan number of locations, right? right. Uh, I'm trying to figure out why that is because when you gave the eight bit example, I think I think I know, but mm-hmm. when you when you gave the was it the eight bit example at the beginning where you were you, yeah. you said the first four digits are the actual move instruction, right, the second right. two are the location, and then I right. forget what the last two were. But um, so in that case, the location was just two digits. When you mm-hmm. when you go to sixty four bit, how many digits would be dedicated to the location? So that is entirely dependent on how the instruction set architecture is designed. Because you can do whatever you want. Like, what I was, the example I gave with the four uh, instructions in terms of, like, that's the length of the instruction. I don't even know if that's what they do for an 8-bit CPU. It could have been 3 bits for an instruction. Right. Been I'm just five. trying to figure out how you, how you get to that huge number. Are you going 15 times, or 16 times 16 times 16, you know, until you get to... So it's not it's not actually sixteen times sixteen. So the only reason that the that that one column was sixteen was because of where it fell. So if you think about it, like uh, in our base ten system, the sixteen column in binary would be equivalent to that was the fifth column, right? So that would Mm -hmm. be equivalent to the the column for basically ten thousand for for base ten. So if you go to the next column over, that's the like the hundreds of thousands column. Mm. So every every one that you go over, it's like another order of magnitude for base ten. For the binary, you're doubling it every time you add one more bit. So if you go from eight bit to sixty four bit, and you think about it, you're doubling the amount of of basically numerical options or addressable space with every bit you add. Think about doubling from eight. So eight then to you nine, add nine, and then nine to, to 10. ten, ten to eleven. Every time you're okay. doubling you're doubling your address space. So by okay. the time you get to 64-bit, that's what I was saying. It was apparently it's 17 billion gigabytes of RAM is the possibility. So okay. RAM being the the memory that's it's not the closest to the CPU, but it's a very specific type of memory um, that is fast. So CPUs also have, since we're talking about RAM, uh, I wanted to talk about this as well. Um, CPUs have what's also called registers, which mm-hmm. are basically locations for storing data on the CPU. And they have to do that 
to do these calculations. So you're not actually processing things from RAM. You load things from RAM into the CPU into what are called these registers. So if we're going, we're going to go with the 64-bit CPU. So if you have one of those, you have registers that store 64-bit values on the CPU. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll just call them integers. So if you want to add a million plus 500,000, and you have those two values. Uh, and again, this is highly simplified just for the sake of understanding. Um, you would load 1 million into a register on the CPU, and then you would load five this value 500,000 into another register on the CPU. And then you would run those two values through what's called the arithmetic uh, logic unit, mm-hmm. um, with, or the ALU. And these are, these are like on every CPU that's out there. Uh, those would run through that unit to do the math and then store the results somewhere. So that is another advantage of um, going up in terms of bits, like on CPUs between 16, 32, 64 bit, is the possibility to have more registers on the CPU because there's more space to address these things. So you got to think of Every time you're adding these bits, you're basically adding um, more capability in terms of the kinds of native data that uh, the CPUs can operate on, as well as the space necessary to work with that data, whether it's RAM or uh, these registers on the CPU. And then on CPUs, you have, I'm sure you've heard of like L1 cache, L2 cache, those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So cache is kind of... Cache is kind of similar to RAM, but it's it's on the die of the CPU. So again, it's very close to the CPU and is and is therefore very fast. So if you're operating on certain variables a lot, which tends to happen in computing, because like you know, there's there's loops, right? So you'll have a loop that says, in this case, we'll use a while loop as an example. <laughs> Uh, if you're doing a loop while a certain value is true or a certain value is less than some number, some kind of condition, mm-hmm. you could be you could be going over that loop millions of times theoretically. Mm-hmm. So think of if your CPU, so you would probably you would have that value in a register so that you could check it very quickly. Let's say you had to go out to RAM every time you wanted to do that loop. So if you're mm. doing that loop a million times and you had to go out and fetch this data from RAM, bring it into the CPU, do the check, you say yes, it's true, or no, it's not, and then let's say you lose that value, and the next time you come around, you have to go fetch that data again. Even though to us, computers work very, very fast, comparatively speaking, working with a register versus RAM or L1 cache versus RAM is still a huge difference in time. So mm. because we're able to, to keep values that um, are used often close to the CPU, it can work that much faster. So if you're on a 64-bit uh, CPU, you have the opportunity for more registers, more cache, uh, so you can keep things closer to the CPU if the software is you know, designed to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. So theoretically you could, you could be much faster than like a 32 bit CPU for certain kinds of like 
operations that are working on large, um, large, working on larger numbers, like where the integers are the floating point, floating point numbers that you need to calculate. Um, there's a lot of them, and they're like bigger than you know the typical 32-bit sizes, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of the performance increase from 32 to 64 can can take advantage of this increased locality to the to the operation being able to keep things closer to the cpu like more often because of the size um as well as being able to operate on those larger data sizes data sizes natively mm-hmm. so i don't know if do you have anything you want to ask at this point or no i think i i get that so the cache is closer to the cpu than the ram and the and the cache right. uh so you're Instead of having to go to the RAM for every instruction, right. you're, going, you're just you're uh, traveling a shorter distance, basically. <laughs> right. No, that's that's exactly what it is, pretty mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. Um, back when I was, again, this is a, an example that was given to me in college, um, and it was like we were in a classroom, and he was saying, you know, we're talking about registers and how the register is basically on you, something you have on you, and then if you had to go out to cash. It would be like walking to the library, mm-hmm. and then if you had to go to RAM, I don't remember what location it was, but then he was just saying like, oh, and if I, I can't remember if RAM was in Mexico or if that was the hard drive, but then the <laughs> next step after that is the hard drive, and going out to the hard drive, especially back then because we didn't have SSDs, mm-hmm. so it was you know these mechanical discs. It was like having to walk a huge distance. Um, just trying to put it in like you know human yeah. terms, yeah. Because again, computers work so fast to us that it's like we're waiting a couple seconds for something to hit a hard drive. <laughs> we're like, oh, this stinks, but it still yeah. is like fast enough for us to to uh, not be really bothered by. But you're talking about something that can work on like the order of nanoseconds or whatnot uh, if things are running well. Um, so waiting seconds is like this huge slowdown. So it all depends on, on uh, you know, how much you can keep in your registers, how much you can keep in your cache and your RAM and all that stuff. And that's why having, because RAM is way faster than hard drives. So that's why having a lot of RAM is good for heavy workloads because uh, you can just load up so much into that. And that is, you know, quite a bit faster than ever having to hit the hard drive. So that is kind of the uh, the gist of of why moving between 8 and 16 and 32 and 64 bit has been so advantageous to us in terms of speed um, and efficiency and all that. So we've been at 64 bit for, I think, almost 20 years in one wow. way or another. Okay. I think it was early 2000s when maybe the first 64 bit CPUs kind of started hitting um, in terms of like consumer level stuff. I'm sure they've existed like long before that. But again, there was this between. <laughs> You know, when I was a kid and 2003 or whatever, we saw the leap from 8 to 16 to 32 to 64. And then, like, that's kind of where we hit it. So I've seen people say, like, oh, how come we don't have 128-bit CPUs yet? You know, we've, you know, hit this wall or something. And that's, you know, like, I guess I would just say that people who ask that don't really understand, like, what the what the benefit would be. Because right now, we, there really isn't one. Because we're not mm-hmm. even getting close to needing more than... 17 billion gigabytes of RAM on mm-hmm. a CPU, right? It's like, mm-hmm. that is not a thing. And then the data that we're operating on, 
I don't think we really have an advantage to running 128-bit. They, they call them words, um, which is basically like a native data size to a CPU. Mm. Uh, we, I don't think there's really an, an advantage of having 128-bit length words in single instructions because mm-hmm. we can process stuff that's 128-bit, 256-bit. Like We do that with cryptography and those kinds of things. But we handle them fine on our 64-bit CPUs. But I don't think we have the kinds of workloads that uh, they're just not out there that would like benefit from having all like everything in these massive numbers. I mean, 128 value is 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 massive, and mm-hmm. it's like we're just not doing those kinds of uh, operations where we need that like in all of our instructions. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of hit the space with 64-bit where we've got plenty of headroom for the things we need to do. And we're not going to see a speed increase going from 120. Because the other thing that happens is, you know, your your die size, which is the size of the CPU, is going to kind of inform the price. So if you were doubling all of, like, the data paths and the ALU sizes and all that, like, you're going to make your CPU a lot more expensive for what you're getting out of it. Because mm-hmm. the physical space that all this stuff is going to take up is going to it's going to double. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, which might actually work out to more if you're talking about, because you're doubling in you know more than one direction. I would think if you're talking about like a layout, so <laughs> it might you know really increase the cost, and you wouldn't really get any kind of benefit. Um, so that's kind of why we have not made the shift to 128, and I would not be surprised if we really did not see a shift to 128 in our lifetime, because mm. I just don't see us running out of like. The, the capability that 64-bit gives us. There's going to be mm-hmm. other ways that they improve performance, which is um, one of the things that we're not even going to touch today is the megahertz and gigahertz and all that, which is basically how many times a second these things operate. Mm. But, you know, we all, we've all heard 3 gigahertz, 4 gigahertz. Yeah. And that's just how many cycles a second these things run. So the higher number, the more cycles they, they, they do, and they are faster. And that's mm-hmm. just that. But but we're talking today mostly about like what the increase in bits gets mm-hmm. you. So is there a, is there like a an operation you could think of that could benefit from 128 bits? Like we've talked about space travel and stuff like these really complex, uh, mm-hmm. seemingly complex operations. Is 64 bits enough for those kinds of things, or? Yeah, I don't. So even even something like that. So like I mentioned, like the cryptography stuff, because um, mm-hmm. I know we do like two hundred fifty six bit hashes and and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it, you know, maybe that would be a tiny bit faster if we were running data paths that were closer to the actual size that some of these things are running at. I could be totally wrong because I don't. I'm not like super in deep in those areas but Mm -hmm. i i don't think there's going to be anything soon that would you know be a significant advantage Mm -hmm. for us to for us to make that shift so Mm -hmm. yeah that's kind of my that's my personal yeah personal thought well that's kind of good to know something that's (laughs) not something that's not increasing at the speed of light you know yeah I mean, because we got there relatively quick in terms of jumping from, you know, 8 to 64. Um, mm-hmm. And since then, we've done things like adding more CPU cores, 
um, trying to increase the gigahertz rating of CPUs. Uh, one of the things, oh, I don't think we ever, I don't think I touched on this yet because we mentioned transistors and I mentioned that the M1 CPU had like 16 billion transistors yeah. or something like that. So yeah. a transistor is essentially um, like a logic gateway, like a switch. So it's mm -hmm. what enables you to have the zero or the one. It's like on or off. Mm -hmm. So think, you can think of a transistor of being a switch that'll process those on or off um, uh, like values. So let's, I will, okay, let me break down a couple ways that this stuff works. So I don't know if you've ever heard of logic gates. Or I have you ever? So. No, I don't think so. Uh, okay. So there's, there's uh, like an ALUs and I mean, everything, everything kind of breaks down into this. So you have, you have what's called an or gate, an and gate. These are just like, like the English words, like and, or, okay. et cetera. Okay. And I think there's one, there's one called an XOR gate, which is XOR. And then mm -hmm. there's one that's called a NOR gate, I believe. But these are values. So this is um, like switches that will take in two values and spit out one. So an OR gate would be, think of two wires coming into this gate and one wire leaving. So mm -hmm. if, if, do you know what... Um, like, have you dealt with like like Boolean logic, or yeah. you know, doing like true false and yeah. or doing ors and ands in programming? It's the same thing on these hardware gates. Okay. So if you have, so think of zero and one as true and false, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have an or gate, if either one is true, then true is going to come out. So mm -hmm. if you have a wire, if you have two wires and zero and zero is going in, zero is coming out. If mm -hmm. one zero is coming in, one is coming out. If zero one is coming in, one is coming out. And if one one is coming in, one is coming out. It's an OR right. gate. So if there's any kind of true value coming in, one comes out. Okay. Same thing. Uh, so an AND gate. So the only way you're getting a one out of an AND gate is if one and one comes in. If one one zero comes in or zero one or zero zero comes in, zero is coming out of an AND gate. Okay. Uh, XOR means exclusive OR. So I believe that means it has to be one zero or zero one. One one would spit out zero in an XOR, I believe. Um, and then NOR gate might be the opposite of OR. I'm not, I don't remember off the top of my head. Anyway, so you're using these kinds of switches to basically build up all of these uh, units that these CPUs use. So like the arithmetic logic units, are going to have a ton of, uh, you know, these XOR gates. Or I'm not sorry, not XOR, but I don't remember which one's off the top of my head because you have to you have to think about it and figure out how to do all the all the math. But that's how you're essentially doing like this binary math, right? So if one one comes in for one column, that's going to be a, a zero with like a carried one, and you can do that all that kind of math with like these gates that are coming through. And that's how you're doing, um, like, control logic as well. So mm. thanks for the uh, instructions. So when we were talking about having the different instructions, mm -hmm. you would design the data paths um, to hit these gates in a certain way where they will activate other units in the CPU based on what's coming in. So you're using those instruction bits to activate different paths that your uh, that your data bits would take 
in the CPU, essentially. So I'm trying to think of what a good analogy would be. Um, almost like traffic. Like where you see like traffic lights, mm -hmm. right? Where you have like cars are moving in different paths. If mm -hmm. you think of cars as data, mm -hmm. um, that's not the best analogy, but you can you can think of like when you see like high level video and like it's always like sped up of like a city and everything's yeah. kind of moving in like different directions and different paths based on what the lights are saying. Yeah. It's kind of like what the instruction bits are telling the CPU is what direction to send the electronic signals of the data bits through. Hmm. So depending on what's coming in for the signal, it's going to route this data different ways. And you do that with these transistor-based gates. So, so that's, okay. that's why when you have... See, this is why I kind of want to put my project on our website. Mm -hmm. Because it, it all this stuff is laid out visually with like mm -hmm. written uh, written examples. So I'll think about it. I, I don't know what the what the policy is there, but okay. Cause I mean, it's yeah, like 20 yeah. years old. I mean, that thing is 20 years old. Is it really, I don't even know if they do the same kind of stuff, but anyway. Um, so that's why when they talk about, Oh, transistors, well, this, this CPU has 16 billion transistors. And back in the day, I remember, you know, it was like, Oh, we've hit a billion transistors. So what happens is when they can shrink, um, the size of these transistors, and again, they're down to like five nanometers or something. They're getting close to the atomic level for these things if they're not okay. there already. Okay. They can pack more of them into the same space. So like the cost of a CPU is going to be based around how much silicon it uses up. So the way to lower the cost of a CPU is to basically shrink the size of these transistors so you can fit the same number of transistors in a smaller space. Mm -hmm. But then what they do is they'll typically make the CPU more complex. So they'll add more to the CPU, use roughly the same amount of space, so it's the same cost, but you're getting a lot more for it. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. Same physical space, but you can pack it a lot more because the size of what goes in there has shrunk quite a bit. So you'll read things in the news like, oh, Apple's using you know, the five nanometer process from TSMC, or there's been like the 10 nanometer process and the seven nanometer. And like Intel's had some problems with like trying to get their, their, they've been at like 14 for a while, I think, or maybe it was 10, uh, but it takes like years typically to get down to the next level. And then they're getting to a point where, again, it's like getting close to the atomic level. And I'm not sure what they're going to do after that, but I know there's some stuff with like quantum computing, but that's a whole different. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, that's the thing about quantum computing is that it doesn't work on zeros and ones. I believe it's like you have the possibility. Uh, this is not a very good explanation, but you have the possibility for either zero or one at the same time. It, like it opens up like this whole new like way of working, and it's not binary like what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So that could be a good one to do some research on. Um, mm -hmm have a discussion on but anyway so that's kind of how they've improved the performance over the years is by adding these you know more bits to the data uh and like to the alus and what it can handle by shrinking 
the size of the transistors so we can have more of them in the same space. Uh, also increasing the gigahertz, which I said we won't talk about. Um, but that is kind of the gist of it. So like everything else that's in it, like we've kind of talked about a little bit like the arithmetic logic unit. Uh, we've talked about registers and the cache, uh, the instructions, which are, you know, we kind of explained how they work. Um, and then there's, there's a couple other things. Did you have a question? I kind of do, but I, uh, I'm going to, why don't you go ahead and, uh, finish your, sure. Go ahead. So I think, I think the last thing that I really had wanted to talk about in terms of the CPUs and then we can review anything, um, so, you, you know, people might be wondering, well, like, well, how do these programs run? Well, when they get compiled into machine language, they become, um, they become a serial, like, so I don't, like, when they, people will say, like, oh, have you installed, well, like, when you install an application, they'll say, you know, oh, if you want to install the binary for something. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they're referring to is basically a file that is the, the zeros and ones representation of what you're going to run. And that's mm-hmm. why they call it a binary is because that's what your program consists of. It's a series mm-hmm. of instructions laid out in these zeros and ones um, like format. And th- what happens is uh, a CPU has something called a program counter. Mm-hmm. And so if you think of it, think of it like it's a series of rows. So if you have an instruction, and you can kind of see this if you if you look at the assembly version of um, software, like before it gets translated then to machine language or machine code, which is the actual zeros and ones. Mm-hmm. But it's just a series of steps. It's like step one, step two, step three. Mm-hmm. And like loops, like if you hit a loop, it'll tell you to jump to instruction whatever. Um, and so it, it knows to like change to a different location in the program, depending on what it hits. So a CPU has what's called a program counter, which basically knows where in the program it's at and what's coming next. So Mm -hmm. if you're calculating these, uh, like these loops that we talked about earlier, it'll tell the CPU, go to this other location in the program. So the program Mm -hmm. counter will actually change and jump to another, uh, spot in like this this list of machine instructions. So you can think of it as almost like a grid. So think of 64 zeros and ones in a row. We're talking about a 64-bit computer now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And each instruction is its own row. uh, And each row has a number. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And you go from top to bottom. And your entire program is, is stored in like that kind of a format. So it could have millions or billions of these zero zero one one zero zero whatever, mm-hmm. and it's essentially going through each one of those rows as you go through, uh, and jumping back and forth depending on what's happening, and that's the data that's actually. And there's going to be other stuff coming in, obviously, because you're loading things in from disk. Like if you're dealing with a graphics program, like that data is not in the program, but it'll know how to read and interpret that stuff, and that's at the lowest level. That we're talking about but essentially mm-hmm. it's like this list of zeros and ones that your cpu is just jumping between and running through all these gates and transistors and it knows it's designed in a way to like the output is going to be everything that we see so like 
again, everything you see on your monitor is based on zeros and ones, like colors are represented by zeros and ones, and whether things are on or off or everything, everything that you're doing comes down to exactly what we were just talking about. So mm -hmm. it all gets translated at some point to these, you know, instruction sets and binary yeah. representations of data. So yeah, it's, it's pretty unbelievable when you, <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty fascinating the way it all works and all comes together. It really uh, is to me. It's like, to me, it feels like a miracle that the stuff works. Yeah, because it's all like, yeah, it's it's nuts. I, I like the the creation of CPUs, like blows my mind, mm -hmm. kind of, and that mm -hmm. there's that there are people out there who understand the process, like in terms of oh well, we can make these transistor gates in silicon that are at like a five nanometer size. It's like a fraction of the width of a human hair type stuff, you know. Um, so, and so I those, don't know. It's it's nuts. Yeah, yeah. Those transistor gates that you were describing—the XOR and the XAND. Mm -hmm. So that's what the, you say. There's like how many billions of those in the? So in, I read that there were 16 billion transistors in the Apple M1. And they're and they're like getting to the point where they're atomic size. You you say? Like I, I that. believe that they're getting close to that. Yeah. So my question, I, I don't know if I should, I don't know if we should get into this because it could make the episode a lot longer and I don't, uh, or maybe, maybe not. Maybe it could maybe. be like, we could follow it up in the coming weeks if it's yeah. a good question. Okay. So I just want to connect that with what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode where you, you had the 8-bit example with the move instruction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's say we were trying to move a piece of, uh, move something from, uh, into me or into a, a certain part of memory, like mm -hmm. move something from main memory to secondary memory or something. Mm -hmm. um, so, what based on the the instruction mm -hmm. of a line of uh, uh, let's say I don't know sixty four bit mm -hmm. um, line would have so the the location would be how many how many digits do you think for a 64 um, bit instruction? Like what, so, how many, how many digits would be allocated to the location? I guess. Uh, that's a really good question. And I think it depends on if you're doing a CISC or a RISC processor, because I believe you could have multi instruction instructions, if that makes sense, where you're not also necessarily doing it on one. Okay. Um, so, but I don't know if that's necessary because, like I said, the address space of a 64-bit um, system is huge. Like, I'm assuming that the 17 billion gigabytes of RAM would refer to if you're using the entire 64-bit value to be an address space. Mm. So, uh, well, let me, let me... It, it would, even if it was like 48 bits or something, out of the 64, it would give you a ton of, you know, addressable mm -hmm. space. This is stuff we could look up because yeah. the instruction set architectures are not secret. Um, so okay. we could, yeah, we could look that stuff up. Yeah, let me, let me just see if I can give you get like a general question to you, and and if huh, you give like an overview answer. If not, we can we can do it for another episode. But sure. Uh, so 
you've got the the location. Like, so you have the the move instruction, then you have the location. So you want to send this data to a, a certain place in memory. So from from that instruction, you go through all these transistor gates, and like it's it's moving something through all these transition gates through these various mm-hmm. instructions, the XOR and the XAND, mm-hmm. to get to a certain place in memory. Is that is that what it's doing, or is is it more complicated so than that? You would it's well, I would say it's more complicated than that. So you would the CPU would would move the instruction through those gates, and you would essentially know. So there's a lot going on here. So like, let's mm-hmm. say we're we're fetching from RAM. So I don't. So the current. So this. So this. Uh, we're bringing up some different. Okay. Design. No, 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 it's okay. That's what I was worried so, about. But okay. No, 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 it's okay. So like the Apple M1 has the RAM on the chip. And that's one of the reasons why it's fast is mm. because like going back to computers that I would build, there was a chip that was called, they would call it the North Bridge. And it was a chip that would coordinate between the CPU and things like the RAM and things like the GPU. Um, so it was kind of like this... Uh, controlling chip that would communicate between all these different parts. So then when you start talking about, and this is very much coming to prevalence over the past several years, you hear SOC system on a chip. Well, it's like, it's like taking all that stuff and putting it onto one die. So instead of having the GPU over here and the RAM over here and the CPU over there, and you have this North bridge that communicates between them all, you're all of a sudden putting everything on one chip right next to each other. Mm-hmm. And the whole system is now on one chip. And that's what the Apple's done with the M1. Um, and that's kind of what I'm wondering what they're going to do for these desktop systems because now I'm thinking like, because desktop systems usually you can upgrade the RAM if you want. You know, you buy more RAM, you stick it in. But mm-hmm. that's going to require like this, I would think it would still require having something like a North Bridge. And then you lose the advantage of having the system on a chip design. But I don't know if they're going to want to, like, because people on a desktop are going to want 64 gigabytes of RAM or 128. Like, are they going to have a 128 gigabyte RAM system on a chip? So that's like a question that's kind of, I'm wondering about what they're going to do with their next uh, machines. So, but in that sense, um, you would have, like, let's say it's like a load operation. So you... You could have, and again, this is off the top of my head. I don't know how they actually do it, but one option would be, let's say you had a register that was dedicated to a recent, to your last load operation, and no matter what you check there, is what was loaded from memory like the last, the last thing you did, so or the last load request that you made. So we could call that register L zero for load zero. So you could have like a load instruction that was maybe like 16 bits. And then the address space for that load is 48 bits. And Mm -hmm. it knows that this load instruction goes to whatever Ram address is stored in the 48 bits after that. So it would, the system would then know to make that call. It would probably pass off that 48 bit value to like the North bridge in this case if we're using a North bridge, then the North bridge would go fetch that data at the location specified by the 48 uh, bit value, return it back to the CPU. And then the CPU would store that result. 
and again, this could be like a 64-bit result it's, uh, because we're talking about 64-bit data paths mm-hmm. into that into that register. So now the CPU has that data, and it's probably now in cache because it just accessed it. So I'm sure that the way that they designed this stuff is this is a, a value we just recently fetched. So we're going to store that in cache. And then we're going to load it into this special L0 register. So then we know that the next operation, if we need that value, we'd probably pull it out of L0 and put it into one of the general purpose registers because there's different kinds of registers you can have too. So we put it into, <coughs> excuse me, a general purpose register R0 or R1 or whatever, or you could call it GP. We'll call it GP1 for general purpose. Mm-hmm. And let's say, let's say you were adding two values that like you needed so then you would do another load value. So then you'd say load from this other 48-bit value in RAM, pull that in, put that into L0. But then we're going to have to move that out into a general purpose register too. So then we have GP0, GP1, and then we could run with in GP0 and GP1 into the, the ALU, run it through the ALU. So we get our result, and let's say the ALU always stores its result in, again, like some kind of result register. So we'll call it RS1. So then we know that the result goes into RS1. Uh, let's say we want to save that. So then we would probably load RS1 into another open register that's a general purpose register, GP2 or 3, and then we'd have a store operation. Now, a store operation would say something like you'd have probably a hard, a hard drive address. So you'd say the store instruction takes um, a register value, and um, a memory value, a hard drive value. So then the G, the CPU would know to send this chunk of data out to this chunk of uh, this space on the hard drive. And again, this is like really simplified, and this is probably not totally correct with uh, in terms of the complexity of what's mm-hmm. going on. But this is just like trying to illustrate illustrate a point in general. So you'd write out this you know sixty four bit value or whatever to this location on the hard drive. So think about saving a file then. Mm-hmm. So I just, I want to save a 50 megabyte file. Well, I'm talking about operating at a 64 bit level, which is eight bytes. So 50 megabyte file is, you know, 50 million kilobytes or something like that. Or is it 50 kilobytes, 50 million bytes, something like that. So mm-hmm. you're doing this operation over and over and over again in a CPU, you know, millions of times. Mm -hmm. And for us, we see it happen in a second, a fraction of a second. But Mm -hmm. it's it's executing millions, if not billions of instructions. Because at the instruction level, everything is relatively simple. You can't do a whole lot with ands and ors, but it's, it's the... It's the aggregation of all those things. Right. And being able to execute those things at such a fast speed that we don't comprehend it, really. I mean, right. these things are running at speeds so fast, like I said, it's like we don't relate to it. So it's it's being able to do all these simple operations that add up to incredibly complex results. Yeah, that's where I... By aggregating it all. Right. That's where I was... Uh... That's where I'm. That's the. Well, I'm gonna try to say this. It's that's where I'm trying to make sense of it. Is mm-hmm. but the, but that makes sense. Is so you got simple commands, mm-hmm. but you add them all up, and then you have a complex instruction. 
or a complex it, result. Yeah. And a result in a yeah. nutshell. That's in a nutshell. I mean, that's yeah. maybe a little oversimplified, but um, that's the uh, 60,000 foot uh, explanation. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know what? I'm going to look into seeing if there's a problem with, I would actually like to post my project on the site. It's one of the few things I saved because it was one of the few things that like, I actually found really interesting and <laughs> was proud of. <laughs> One of the few things. Well, yeah, because most of it is Four like... Four years of college. Yeah. A lot of it is very dry, like... And it's just learning things, like, that you need to regurgitate. This yeah. was actually, like, you need to go make something, and we're not going to tell you what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and so you actually had to be creative for this class, which I really liked, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It was a totally different, like, angle. And it... It's it was, more of a know, real real world application too. Right? Exactly. It was very it felt very more real world like kind of a style. Yeah. 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 Well, that's so, cool. Um and again, it would illustrate everything we just talked about. Mm -hmm. Uh and it would be good to have that on a record because if something, you know, if where I live burned down, that would be gone. <laughs> so uh <laughs> I would like to have that back up. It, put it on the cloud. <laughs> yeah. So I, but I think that's the the gist of of what I wanted to talk about. Hopefully, uh, that illuminates things a little bit. If you're not a tech person who's listening, but have always heard about, you know, everything runs on zeros and ones. It's all information. Uh, maybe there would be room for a follow up to this. I don't know. We'll see if if people have questions um, or want yeah, to know was... things. It was a good, uh, I think that probably went a little longer than we expected, but I think it's a good, uh, it's even something you could, I, I might actually go back and listen to this again just to kind of get it, <laughs> make sure I get it all. But it's a good uh, good way to start the season. Good way to start the season. So do you think, uh, <laughs> I don't mean this in a condescending way, I guess. I was going to say, do you feel like you learned something? Did you learn or anything like, at yeah. all? I don't I, know absolutely. If that absolutely that, I did. Okay. Um, Okay. Yeah, um, I've always been fascinated with the whole uh, binary thing, and the you know how how languages are converted back to binary and vice versa. So, and the reason it's binary is because everything is based around on-off switches, transistors, mm -hmm. right? So we're talking about mm -hmm. transistors being on yeah. or off, and that's the only way that we have to represent data on or off. So mm -hmm. everything has to be built off that concept. And that's yeah. why languages and everything is is a binary, you know, right. binary do system. I, do I understand it 100%? No, but I'm at least, uh, you know, I, I have a better understanding. And uh, I would actually be curious, like if you do put, post that project, I would be curious yeah. to look at it and really start understanding more how these things work. Yeah. Um. I'll have to look into scanning it. Some of it is actually like poster size stuff too, like the diagram of the CPU. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a combination of like written explanations. There's like timing diagrams for for memory and CPU stuff. And it, it, I thought it was really interesting. I think I'm going to scan it just, just to have it. Uh, and then we'll figure out if we can post it. So, All right. So stay tuned, all you computer geeks out there. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I think that pretty much does it. What do you think? That's good. Uh, yeah, I think that was a good, good synopsis. Cool. 
All right. Well, uh, until next time, I'm Jared Moranti. I'm Justin Moranti. Thanks for listening to our very first episode of Season 2. And we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. All right. See you in a week. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to The Wild Loop. And if you would like to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell anyone you know that loves tech to subscribe as well. The Wild Loop is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.